I've um, entitled my message, Seeing is Not Believing. The reality is, we live our lives based on seeing, right? Seeing is believing. Let's face it, seeing is believing. If somebody tells you, that's a great restaurant, you go to that restaurant, and if what you see is not palatable, you wouldn't even taste the food, right? Because seeing is believing. Doesn't matter what everybody says about the food. And they say, you should try it. It's lovely. Just close your eyes and when you go in. But eat the food. It's great. You're not going to. All right? Because seeing is believing. So I want to take you to, uh, first of all, John chapter 20. And we'll read the scriptures there. And then, if you don't mind, just go with me on a journey for this next 15, 20 minutes. John chapter 20. And we'll read from verse 24 onwards. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Seeing is believing. I'm not going to believe what you're saying. i got to see. I have to put my Fingers there, i got to touch that. Then I know when my five senses have experienced it, then I will believe. Right? Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. I wonder what, you, what your response would be when that happens. I don't know. I might scream, I guess. Peace be with you. I guess he had to say that. All right? Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now, as I read that, I think, oh, I, I probably would be like Thomas. You know, and I probably would have got that rebuke. Hang on. Let's do it present day. I probably am like Thomas and I probably get this rebuke quite regularly. You know, uh, I just ignore it. Um, my Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Right. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. You know who he was talking about? You and me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. You believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. Right? Now, you'll see that immediately after this story, John goes on and says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles. He's just saying, don't, don't just base on what you see, right? Then he goes into the next verse and says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. He's saying, look, we've, we've seen it. We've witnessed it. We have now put it down as evidence for you. And if you use this as an evidence-based um, resource, you 
can continue to believe what we are believing and you can experience what we are experiencing life by the power of his name. But I want to take you first to how the initial response of all the disciples. We look at Thomas and we think Thomas was the only one who doubted. But actually, every single one of them had doubts when they first were told about Jesus' resurrection, right? In Gospel of Matthew, so I'm going to read a bit. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. I wouldn't want to be the other Mary. <laughs> it's Mary Magdalene because, man, she's, you know, she's quite powerful the way she acted. The other Mary. Poor other Mary. Do you feel sometimes that you are the other? <laughs> and the husband said yes. No, I don't. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went... Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Imagine you're in this phase of doubting, and then you hear the message, he is alive. Then you run to Galilee, you see him, and yet for some, that's still not enough. Right? Then we look at the Gospel of Mark, and um, we see a little difference there, where um, in verse, um, I'll pick it up from verse 7, right? where the women have already seen and the angels have already spoken to the women. So verse 7, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Then Mark, in most of the manuscripts, end with this. The women fled from the tomb trembling and bewildered and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. You know, so... Uh, it wasn't just that immediately they responded and they grabbed hold and embraced the truth and, and went. There was this fear. What were they fearing about? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm thinking, look, what if I'm hallucinating here? What if I'm seeing things? How do I know this is an angel of the Lord? What's going, you know, this is the first time you're experiencing something like this. You do not have the memory resources to go back to and say, oh yeah, I know what this is. There is no reference point for you this experience. So I think you and I can understand what's going on here. 
Luke, again, in his narration of what happened, all right, he picks it up and uh, again, they hear the words of the angel, all right, um, but this time, he tells a little bit more about what the angel said, all right. The women were terrified, bowed with their faces to the ground, and the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and they and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. Right? Then so they go and tell that. Um, and look at this, verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. I've got to admit, we are portrayed in a very bad light, my brothers. <laughs> it's not a good season for us. You know, thank God for the book of Acts. We are restored. <laughs> but I tell you, the end of the Gospels, not very good show for us. Hope we have learned from that. So, However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. He went home again, wondering what had happened. Now, listen, all of them, right, were exposed to this teaching of Jesus. It shouldn't have come as a surprise to them. In fact, Mark records three times that in three different occasions, Jesus told them word for word what was going to happen. Right? In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. Clear, crystal clear, word for word, everything that happened. Right, But as soon as these words come out of Jesus' mouth, how does Peter respond? As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand, reprimand him for such sayings. Can you imagine teaching God, rebuking God? Of course you can imagine it, because you and I do this all the time. We go through something, and then in our prayers, we kind of try to educate God. We argue with him. This shouldn't be the way, Lord. There is definitely a better way. Why don't you listen to me sometimes? You're not like that, right? We argue without realizing it's not even like a little child arguing with a parent, right? At least that child can understand a little bit about where we are coming from. No, it's like a worm arguing with a fisherman, right? The worm doesn't have the capacity, the brain capacity and function to understand what's going on here, right? So the worm cannot argue. Yet you and I have absolutely no brain matter sufficient to understand the ways of God. Yet we choose to argue with him about his ways, which the prophets keep telling us is higher than our ways. His wisdom is like his foolishness is equal to the wisest of our wisdom. 
If we only understand that, we probably will stop arguing with God and maybe even pulling him aside and giving him some advice. Second time he prophesies, Mark 9, 31. He wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. How did they respond this time? Second time Jesus is saying something. All right? This must be important. Right? No. Mark 9.32, immediately after he says this, they didn't understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Right? So they, they didn't understand. They wouldn't ask him to clarify, and so they left it alone. A very important incident that he's describing, they left it alone. Third time, Mark 10. 33. Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, kill him, but after three days he will rise again. It doesn't get any clearer. What's the response this time? Lord, you've been telling us this now for the third time. I'm sorry we didn't get it, but right now we get it. When that happens, Lord, we will be ready. We will have an Easter service to commemorate exactly what happened. Don't worry about it. We got this, Lord. No, you know what happens? The response is, immediately after Jesus says this and teaches them this, James and John changes the subject. Um, teacher, by the way, we want you to do us a favor. Um, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one in your right and the other on your left. Third response was, uh, well, let's forget about what Jesus is trying to say. Can we put forward our agenda to God now? And our prayer life is like that, isn't it? Let's be honest. Sometimes we are arguing with God because we think we know better, Right? Sometimes we are not just arguing God. Sometimes we ignore God, right? Oh, it's God again. And we know where he's going with this. So we ignore God. Or sometimes we ignore him and push forth our agenda. Lord, would you actually bless this thing that I'm about to do? I'm going to do it. I'm just formality's sake coming to tell you about it. And I'm hoping that you're with me on this, all right? Greater is he that's in me and all that stuff. So if you would just come and just endorse what I'm trying to do here. The thing about resurrection is this. God spoke, Jesus spoke to them three times this incident was going to happen. When it did happen, they failed to go back and remember and then respond accordingly. The good news is they had something to remember. They had the teachings of Jesus in the resources of their mind. And so when they were reminded about it, they were able to respond accordingly. Right? Information without experiential knowledge does not change your perception. Just because you have information, right? If you don't experience that information, you're not going to change your mind about anything. And sometimes we come to church, we get information, 
And if that information doesn't translate to experience and experiential knowledge, that information is useless to you. When you read the scriptures, you get some information. And if that information you don't put into practice, you don't apply what the Bible is saying to you, that remains as information. And information without experience is not true knowledge. But once you experience what you have just read in the scriptures, or once you experience what someone said, hey, I did this and the Lord blessed me through this, and you say, oh, I'm going to try that, and you do that, and you experience it, it becomes experiential knowledge, right? So why am I saying this? Thomas had information, but Thomas wanted evidence so that he can experience it, all right? And... Um, I put here, the disciples had to modify their belief system to accommodate this new experience. Empty tomb, it's a new experience. Angels telling you what happened, new experience. Jesus coming right into your house, it's a new experience. When you start experiencing new experiences, all right, you need to amend, accommodate, what God is trying to say to you. Is this happening in your life? Is resurrection life happening in your life? That as you read scriptures, you get some information, and then through the day, you experience that. And that experience transforms your new perception. All right? Um, this guy, should I go there? I won't go there. I want to take you to Ephesians as we close. Ephesians chapter 1. And so Paul, if you look at the Bible, you look at the Gospels, you see a group of men and women floundering around trying to meet the faith level Jesus had. Right? Then you read the letters. You read Paul's letters. You read... Peter's letters. You read James, who actually really had big issues with Jesus as a brother, right? But you read his letters now, his letter now. You, you read all the letters, uh, John's letters, right? You see a, quite a different group of men from the group of men who were walking with Jesus on earth. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. Between the book of Acts and the letters of the apostles, was, uh, sorry, between the Gospels and the letters to the Apostles is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is there for a reason, to tell you that through these experiences they had, they modified their way of thinking. They modified the way they um, remembered the teachings of Jesus. And it changed their perception, changed their belief systems to the point that when they were writing these letters now as leaders of the church, their whole perception of God changed. Their whole knowledge base of God changed. Their whole belief systems about God changed and about the Christ changed to the point that the way they lived their life changed. Without the book of Acts, without experiencing God in your own life, my dear friend, you are going to remain with information that's useless to you and useless to the way you live your life every day. 
the information that you get is useless at home and the way we parent our children if it's not experiential. The information you get is useless when you go on Monday morning to work if it's not experiential. The information you get when you face new things in your life and you don't know what to do, how do you respond to this critical uh, season of your life? How do I respond to this when my, my, my body is failing? How do I respond to this when my mind is under deep anxiety? How do I respond if you have only information without experience? My dear friends, that information, even if it comes from the Bible, is useless to you. But if you begin to live like the, books, the, the apostles in the book of Acts and the church in the book of Acts, where when they got the scriptures, they began to experience the scriptures. And when you have experience, experiential knowledge, my friends, you will shift in the way you live your daily lives. Paul put it this way. I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Here's this man living a Christian life through all his experience with God, going back to the resurrection event and saying to them this is what it means resurrection means that you get hold more and more of the knowledge of God and then you apply that knowledge into your everyday life to the point that it begins to come forth that same power that Jesus experienced when he was risen from the dead you will experience in your daily life that you go on every day now he is far above any ruler or authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. He has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, is made full and complete by Christ. Seeing alone is not believing. Getting information alone from scriptures is not believing. If you want to live this life that John talks about, the life by the power of the name of Jesus, if you want to live a Christian life that's empowered by Jesus, the resurrected Savior, then my dear friends, every, every day of your life, you need to, your life needs to be modified by life experiences with God. Is that happening to you? First of all, do you have knowledge of God? Where do you get your knowledge of God? Through scriptures. If you have nothing in your resources to remember, how's the Holy Spirit going to draw from that memory to teach you something new and how to respond new? If you do not have anything in your memory, the Bible says, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will remind you of all things. 
But how can he remind you if you've got nothing in there to remember? So my friends, you want resurrection power? You want to live in this resurrected life? Fill your minds with the scriptures. You say, but that's information for now. Then, not, you don't stop there. As the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you daily, right? go into daily lives, listening to him. And that's how we, how we um, care for our spouses, how we love and do relationship with husband and wife, how we do relationship with parents and children, how we do relationship with our colleagues out there, how do we re do relationship with the rest of the world. You have these resources, information from scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will draw from that, make you remember, and then you walk in that power and say, God, would you intervene in this situation. God, help me to respond to this situation. God, help me to say the words, the right words that will shift this situation. That's experience. And the moment you experience something like that where God intervenes in your situation, that becomes experiential knowledge. And that shifts you. Then you have a man who's living in the Gospels goes through the book of Acts and one day, my dear friends, you too will be speaking about God in a different way where you'll be living and encountering the resurrected Savior on a daily basis. So, again, I close with John. And he says this. Disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I want to leave this with you this Resurrection Sunday. And I want to ask you to join me as we draw from information into experiencing Christ through the scriptures that we have been informed. And then through that, let's start testifying. Let's start giving evidence that this is true and this is real. And then when we listen to these testimonies from others, let's begin to believe. Don't ignore them. When somebody comes up here and says some experience that they've had with God, don't ignore it. It's, it's okay, bro. Oh, Um, don't ignore it, all right? And don't argue with God. Don't ignore God. And don't push forth your agendas with God. My suggestion to you is, let's begin to fill our minds with scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit bring it to remembrance as you live your daily lives. And then let him, through the wisdom that he gives you, start putting it into practice, your daily lives, and start experiencing the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.